Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think he remembers me. Man, everybody remembers you. Are you kidding? I know. <laughs> You're the guy it's with the name. Yeah. Jango. The Jango. Yeah. It's so fucking hard to walk around with that guy. Like, I was trying to justify that the other day. I was like, what do I have to do to like be able to walk around with Jango and be somebody that they'll remember? Razor blade. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, oh, you're his dreaded friend. <laughs> so that's what this is all been about. It's just like to inevitably dread my hair so that people remember me. perfectly acceptable podcast where if I talk anymore, I'm just going to fall down because <laughs> this thing is like a hamster running on a wheel. Every Tuesday, we get a whole bunch of books into our comic shop where we sort uh, them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You don't need to tell them all that. They know. Okay. They know. Thanks, save your, save your words. Let's just save really, your words. We read comics and we're going to spoil them. And Jeff's really <laughs> sick. So I actually, it's a little less sultry sounding than it was like 40 minutes ago. <laughs> Right, like that. It was like a dirty gravel. I'm Jeff, and I will be playing the part of Tom Waits this episode. I'm Django, and uh, I probably gave this to Jeff about two weeks ago. <laughs> That's probably true, actually. And I'm Colette, and I'm going to really keep my distance. Mm. And you know what? Except you are just the two feet away from me. Yeah, just the two. Yeah. Oh, we're not. I thought we were doing this over Skype. Has this not been Skype the entire time? I thought this was Skype. Um. Books. I got dressed like it was Skype. <laughs> love them. Uh, at a comic shop. Sell them. Come in. We love you. Read them. They're great. Django, what do we got today? Because we're going to be spoiling them. Oh, man. Today, we're going to talk about Batman, The Last Night on Earth, book one. Doomsday Clock, number 10. Angel, number one. Daredevil, number six. Batman Detective Comics Annual number two. That seems like a farce. That's there's they've done a lot more Detective Comics annuals than two. I'm pretty sure yeah. there's only ever been two. That Just two. Yeah. Yeah. Man, numbering yeah. for comics is confusing. Detective Comics is only two years old. <laughs> uh, Heroes in Crisis number nine of nine. We're going to talk about X23 number twelve, the final issue, and then uh, Superman Leviathan Rising number one. We'll probably have a buckshot in there, and we'll probably take some letters or phone calls I'm super or something. Glad that we'll be able to finish this podcast and put all these Superman Leviathan Risings back on the shelf because out of my cold dead hands. Because well, I wouldn't. I don't necessarily know how to interpret <laughs> that with the particular cocktail of chemicals in my blood, but I know that there's not enough on the shelf for as many as I think should sell. So, so we also have a, a secret guest without oh, a microphone no, today. No, 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 don't, no don't. we don't want to. Can we tell him abstractly? We're practicing for episode 150. Nathaniel Dusk. Nathaniel Dusk is watching our the shadow our podcast. Uh, the episode 150 might be a live show. That's what we're working towards. And we got to be used to doing this in front of people. So we got a, we got a person ready. in here. I was born ready. <laughs> um, so let's get right into it with Batman Last Night on Earth. Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo with Johnny and Thin Glapion, and FCO Placentia. Is that a person? Is that an acronym? That's I think it's a person. I used to think it was colors. like a group. This has been the like 
Well, Justin and I always joke because Scott Snyder, from like the very first time I heard about Scott Snyder, he always released some press statement before a book comes out that's like, hey, I'm just, I want to tell everybody how super excited about this I am. Uh, it's really close to my heart. I've been working on it for a really long time. I hope you're really going to like it. It's sort of a story about this. Like He does it every time, but apparently this time we are to believe that he's been working on this series for a very long time. It's his final uh, letter to Batman with Greg Capullo. That okay, they worded that weird. When when they talk about it, they say it's their last word on Batman. But then they say it doesn't necessarily mean it's the last Batman thing we'll do together. It just seems like it's it's like at the end of the run. It's like, yeah, like this Dark is the Knight book end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah this Although is the... Dark Knight strikes again and then Master Race and God damn it, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> Learn um, to drop the mic and leave. So this is also the second issue from DC's or the second series from DC's Black Label. Yeah. Right. The first one was Batman Damned, and I was hoping for a dick in here. But I know there was it no occurred dick. to me like two thirds of the way through. I was like, <laughs> I haven't been seriously looking for a penis in this issue. I think I need to. <laughs> if we all remember the good. They said shit a couple times. Wait. So you know it's adult. <laughs> I didn't get intros from either of you two. Who the hell are you? You got intros Colette from both of us, buddy. Oh, God. Distance. Oh, God. Uh, okay, honey. good. So Whoa. I think we're going to take the lead away from Jeff. <laughs> oh, thank you. Please. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is – Black Label is supposed to be more adult versions of characters that we know from But at this point, DC. it's basically been Batman what-if stories. <laughs> yeah. Basically. And there's a Superman what-if Maybe next have a little swearing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or a wang that they pretend they didn't know was going to be in there. I realized today after I read this that we can get F-bombs in a Batman comic made for young adults from the ink imprint. But we haven't had any other than that. Like, I don't even think that – I don't think they said – Well, here's the question. Does Batman say fuck in those books? No. Maybe it's the idea of Catwoman does. the IP. Yeah, but she's an anti-hero. All right. All right. Fine. Joker should say fuck. Oh, I agree with you there. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, I would like someone to say fuck to warrant the fact that they've given this an imprint that supposedly <laughs> is don't, it's driving me crazy. So does it not feel adult to you or does it feel unnecessary? It feels like, I'm, other than the couple shits, it feels like I'm reading any of Snyder and Capullo's New 52 run. Like there's and if it wasn't for the dicks in the other one, the, do you think that the, the big damned, green it lantern wouldn't have babies been... would have had dicks and then they edited them off? Is that a conversation <laughs> that came up at Comics Pro? No, nobody thought like to, to bring think that up. So, because there's a, so we got to talk about what happens in this book at this point. All right, so in this book we are. Um, we're kind of watching a youngish, like New Fifty Two age Bruce Wayne wake up in Arkham Asylum, and uh, his doctor is obviously the Joker, and Alfred's in there telling him, "Hey, man, you gotta, you gotta stop pretending that you're Batman. You're not actually Batman. You're having these hallucinations." And it turns out the fan theory that's going along for a long time that Batman's actually in Arkham and he's just created a fantasy. Yeah, it's just an extrapolation on that whole thing. Yeah, Um, but it turns out that that's not the case. It's actually we don't know why Bruce is young yet, but um, Alfred is old, and this is long after Gotham and most of the world has fallen, and Bruce has to go on an adventure through kind of the Mad Max post-apocalyptic world of the DC universe. It, it reminded me of like Old Man Logan, but with Batman and the Joker's head in a jar. 
And I think to that point, what I really liked about it is that there was a lot of world building in it, um, which I think more than like in his other stuff. So like, I'm just flipping through it here, and I'm like, man, that's is that a downed version of the Legion of Doom spot? Like, yeah. And like, it <clears throat> mentions that like when Mogo, the Green Lantern planet, fell, like it just started throwing up Green Lantern rings onto the Earth, and then people who weren't necessarily uh, worthy of it, we're putting it on, and there's all these like kind of rogue uh, manifestations of you know green will pouring out. The Wonder Woman resistance, the Amazons, they're all alive and badasses with Pegasuses. Oh, now I'm Roman from last week's shit. Pegasus month. Pegasuses, <laughs> um, and they're living in like uh, Gym World, which is beneath the surface. There's some crystals. Fucking that are Gym World. I know you're not. I don't know that. who decided DC needs Gym World every week, but we got it. And then I love like you know the fallen images of the Hall of Justice. Like I like a book that they can mention things offhandedly that seem cool to me, and I have not told it. It's not like they were like, well, I've got 15 good ideas, so i got to dole them out through all the issues. It's right. like, I have like 40 good <laughs> ideas, and I can just kind of throw them around. I, it had that going for it in a way that I thought was really pleasing. Maybe, I don't know, maybe part of what was lacking for me in this was the fact that I'm not enough of a DC reader to be able to get excited about those little little references and thrown in things around but i i don't know i felt like i was reading a whole bunch of stuff i'd seen before compiled together and with batman so like it felt kind of old man logany but with batman and the joker in the jar which like i enjoy but it was also like very headlopper in the witch's head oh, and yeah. no yeah we said and, that like at Comics Pro, yeah, it it is that, and even the Tom King run is basically doing that thing right now. Of is Batman insane and thinks that Bane is in charge of all this shit? Yeah, and no one trusts him. Like, it's a, I agree. It it isn't a super unique story itself. And I got kind of confused when it switched from Alfred admitting that the whole asylum part was a hoax to being out in the desert and everything that I. I was like, are they doing a Moon Knight book? Is this like we're hopping yeah. from reality to reality? And then after a little bit, I picked up, no, this is this is what was outside of the asylum and everything. But yeah, it, I, I think he was. I think the asylum was underground, and it was part of the Bat Cave that Alfred yeah. had retrofitted to mm-hmm. fool Bruce when he woke up. And this isn't our Bruce; it's one of those Bruce like machines, clone. mm-hmm. clones that are made yeah. by the machine. From the Future's End, and Future's End, and. And like Batman number twelve, I think. From oh yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, I know. I remember about that stuff. It's and I only yeah. kind of like what I did think. Yeah. I like the framing device of this. It starts out with like Batman in modern times, and he's driving. He's solving some mystery where every day a five foot line of chalk has been drawn, and if he gathers a picture of all of them based on where they are, it's a silhouetted drawing of his dead body. That's so cool. Yeah, I really like that, and maybe that's why I had issues with the whole rest of the book was because I wanted to keep reading that story like i really liked those first few pages and then it was like oh where are we going oh okay but i've also never been a huge snyder fan so i was kind of expecting to not necessarily love this book it was it wasn't bad i would i would give this one an 8.5 i really liked it i really do want to read the next Two, I like that it's just three. I, I, the art was on point. The writing I thought was on point. It piqued my curiosity in a lot of ways. Same. Succinct. And what else you want? 
I would uh, also give it an 8.5. I think the art was on point. This the- mess of words, <laughs> this like, I have to express myself. Well, I'll be the the wrench and be the uh, 6.5. All right. Uh, so we also read Doomsday Clock, number 10. Uh, Who this, wrote and drew that? Pff, I don't know. Who people did, write and drew people did it. Uh, this was Jeff Johns writing it and Gary Frank illustrating it with Brad Anderson on colors and uh, Rob Lee lettering. I could this, feel Django's throbbing member while I was reading dude, this book. <laughs> this was probably my favorite issue of the series, and I've liked this whole series. Uh, it basically follows the it follows um, Doctor Manhattan through time as he's having interactions with the actor who's playing Nathaniel Dusk in the movies, based on the comic books that I bought when we were traveling through Arizona one time. And everyone remembers the tons of times that Django has brought up Nathaniel Dusk on this podcast, which I think is, I think we might be the only podcast that's had Nathaniel Dusk conversations with a degree of regularity. You know how you guys uh, like to talk about how much I like hard-boiled crime comics? Yeah. Nathaniel Dusk is why. It's like an HBE. I didn't read one before that. Oh. What's an HBE? Hard-boiled egg? Yeah. Hot beef egg. Extremity. That's a hot beef extremity. Um, <laughs> so, like, we, we learn that a lot about this. <laughs> we learn a lot about this actor. And more importantly, we learn that John, the Dr. Manhattan, has been sort of traveling through different universes in the DC multiverse and affecting them. And I don't know if he's creating them. Or if he's just finding them as he goes, but he's kind of looking into different origins of Superman. There's like seems like the New Fifty Two Superman and the John Burns Superman and a world without Superman. I thought that that was they yeah showed the first time Superman was created, but they basically showed every time the continuity was retconned. Yeah, and to me, what this issue was was Doctor Manhattan explaining in story why retcons happen as this sort of multiversal spread um and then he ends up outside of all of those in the metaverse right i think he ends up in our universe without superman that was my read of it as well as i did think he went to our world at one point but i I wasn't sure when that super was i thought this was really really well done um yeah, I, I thought this was absolutely incredible. Um, Except think, for like the seventh to last panel. I thought that was one of the worst drawings of Dr. Manhattan I've ever seen. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I could bloviate for a while, but I think this was a really eloquently elo- eloquently done explanation for how comic universes can exist in our world the way that they do. And I, I think my thought was that this should have been put out way earlier in the series or yeah. an issue that dealt with this. Um, Although now, now, just saying. Before we keep keep talking, Colette, did you talk? Did you read this one? I have not. Okay, I, I talk have over you only you gotten to like issue three. I got behind, and then they're so I super hefty that understand I... waiting for this series because fuck. I think it's going to be really, really good. All is one. I'll bet that the reason they waited on this was because there's a similar conversation that to, to the one that this issue has that happens in the original Watchmen series. Mm. Yeah, and I bet it's issue 10. <laughs> yeah, exactly, because this this whole series has mirrored Watchmen pretty well. Almost panel to panel. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I think issues 9 and 10, I, I think that the first couple issues were amazing because I was like, holy shit, this is what this is. 
I think that it um, had, it just got a little infrequent in the middle and I wasn't clear what the direction was in the middle. So the ratings went down for me and my interest lowered a bit because it was also just like, who am I going to be in two years when this is done or whatever? But we have uh, two issues of this book left, and I would say issues nine and ten have definitely been the strongest. I've liked one of them since, like, one and two. Yeah. And I think that they're better than one and two in terms of what they're doing with the story. So how did you do with the Nathaniel Dusk stuff? Because Oh, yeah. Because this is like they're showing you movie adaptations of a comic book that nobody read from the late 80s of DC. And it's it's also a comic that was painted, and DC can't find original art good enough to reprint it. So we're never going to see that stuff. Um, they can't make it again. Yeah, at 10 o'clock last night, Django texted me and says, Nathaniel Dusk finally pays off, based on a conversation we had had. And I said, I hope I get it, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> he said, I think you will. It's all pretty spelled out in this one. Pretty sure you'll like the direction this issue takes things. Uh, and I agree totally with both of those. I think the Nathaniel Dusk stuff, I don't even necessarily know that I would have picked up on any of that stuff in the previous issues, because he's like mm-hmm. in the TV and stuff. I think the most important part that that played uh, was it was it showed that maybe Nathaniel Dusk was like that differentiates the world of Nathaniel Dusk from the world that we were in, in that it was a piece of fiction in the world that we were in, mm-hmm. unless it was the TV. So it's show different like, than the metaverse. Yeah, it's just so it. it <clears throat> so having picked up on that early was nice because now when we deal with this here, it shows that we're in a different Earth, which is furthering this idea that Doctor Manhattan is traveling uh, between these Earths and sort of experiencing how time is expressed differently planet to planet and therefore we have these different continuities mm, mm, probably going to give it a 10 i think i am going to give it a 10 are you i nice. think so I, I i i think it it gave me the good feels it gave me the good thoughts and the good feels it, it made it sparked my imagination in a way that it made me start asking questions of the universe which uh sounds pretty head of my own ass but that's my the biggest joy I get out of fiction is when a thing is just like, whoa, I haven't thought about that. So what if this? And when I go on those little rabbit holes, that's when I'm enjoying myself the most. So, I'm going to give it a nine and a half. I think it could get up to a 10 if somebody had already released an annotated version. Because as much as I felt like I was following every single character that they flashed on or scene that they referenced, I think I probably missed a good amount of it. There. Okay, <clears throat> shit. It's fallen on me now to talk for just a second. I want to talk about Angel Number One, uh, created by Joss Whedon. But oh my god, it's written by Brian Edward Hill. I swear to God, really? I didn't know that until this moment. <laughs> that blows me away. Um, so he wrote um, the Wildstorm book, Michael Cray. Uh, Michael Cray that we loved. He wrote uh, a little bit of Detective, which was not that great. He's writing American Carnage, which is amazing. amazing. Collective favorite books. Um, huh. Did not even look at that. That blows me away. Um, that was my genuine reaction, everybody. Was it hard-boiled? Was it <laughs> Super not hard-boiled. Lo- lots of military stuff in there? I was almost not going to read it because I loved Buffy and Angel when I was younger, but I don't know that the property holds quite as well to me right now in my life, but I d- have really liked the Boom comics because there's such a reimagining and it doesn't have a lot of the pitfalls of the series needing to find itself in the way that the television show did. Um, and it's taking a sort of alternate timeline where just totally different things are happening. So this is Angel, the, 
the super hot broody boyfriend of Buffy's, who's a vampire. <laughs> and team sometimes Edward a puppet. Team Edward. It's one episode, Smile Time, season five. You had a whole comic good. series, man. Um, that was such a good episode. Maybe I'll go back and watch that episode again. But anyway, um, this is just him in Los Angeles. It hasn't really brought up if it's before or after he's known Buffy. It kind of seems like it's before he's known Buffy, but it's current technology and everything. And what I particularly liked about this is the way that in it, he visits this old friend who he had saved when he was young. And that old friend is like, they've been friends forever now. And he's like, I should introduce you to my daughter because, you know, she wouldn't be alive if it weren't for you. She suffers with a bunch of insecurity stuff. We get to know her a little bit, but she's uh, on cell phones. And it just goes through a several page thing where it shows kind of how destructive cell phone usage is to people. Um, it's got like a bunch of just sort of like Twitter and Instagram images and it's people just like asking people for nude photos or like insulting the way people look or it's just despicable. It's why I don't like the internet. Um, but everyone has access to it and everyone has increasingly more access to it with like less developed developed faculties. This introduces the concept of somebody who's evil um, creating some sort of like evil magic through cell phones if people click on this thing that is basically sort of like, I think you're beautiful, yeah, you should click here. And then this person became possessed and burnt down the house of the friend that Angel had. And that was a brief instance of, of which there were several types of instances where uh, technology, it was just an interesting usage of technology. I was like, oh yeah, we're actually kind of fucked now with the way that technology works if dark magic existed or if people had the ability to sort of manipulate it in a certain way. Well, and I really liked that and I liked that as a threat. That's kind of where DC East, deceased, right? Like that uses cell or phone technology or Final Crisis. Final Crisis, which we're right? going to talk about on that episode, <laughs> which we're just plugging and plugging and I hope we record. I'm, I'm almost ready. Yeah, but they... You know, My soul is prepared. How's yours? Oh, dark side is. Um, yeah. Uh... So anyway, if you have liked the Buffy comic, or if you liked the show, or if you were even casually interested in Angel, this, I I think I like this Angel maybe even more than David Boreanaz, which I like that guy. I liked him a lot, but I think he might work better as not super referenced or beholden to an actor. So Who drew I, it? Um, Glenn Melnikov. Oh, Glenn. I would give it a, a, a seven. Wow, and I'll I'll read it the next one, uh, which is not something I meant to do. Uh, Daredevil number six by Chip Zdarsky. We gotta hear from fucking <clears throat> Colette at some point. Did you read Daredevil? I wanted to, we and we only had like two copies line. left for the uh, for the shelf, and I wanted to make sure people got oh, them today steal to them read. Next time. I know. Uh, Chip Zdarsky wrote it. I care about our customers. <laughs> Lalit Kumar Sharma penciled it, and Jay Leaston inked it. With Java Tartaglia as the colors. Very succinct. Once again. uh, Man. Did we share the NyQuil? I got fucked on that rundown. (laughs) Uh, So Chip Zdarsky is still writing real well. This art is way different than it has been. The end. what was there was some other book last week that there was a fill-in artist for, and I was like, "All right, well, this is 
probably good because it makes me realize that that artist isn't God and can just do an issue every month. Or every three weeks, I think yeah. Daredevil's been. And that's what basically happened with this one. It's like, okay, they like plowed out four issues and now we've got a four issue arc from a different artist who's taken over so that the other guy can get a jump on it, which is basically how Marvel and DC have been doing stuff lately. Yeah. But it sucks to have an artist that is so different in tone as this. So this takes place after Daredevil is told by Spider-Man and all of his friends that he has to stop being Daredevil because he's kind of out of control and killed somebody. And so we have, like, cool guy Matt Murdock with suddenly long, like, cool guy hair uh, walking around not being Daredevil. And then the cop that has kind of had a vendetta against him this whole time... um, not super pumped that he's on the Spider-Man detail, trying to take down Spider-Man instead of trying to take down Daredevil because, man, there's no contest there. I'd rather try to take down Daredevil than that, Spidey. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then in the meantime, uh, Kingpin is losing his shit. But what it seems to be, like, maybe is what this arc is going to be about is Matt just sort of wearing glasses and whistling around with his cane, not being Daredevil and learning that that's kind of cool. But uh, we see a, a robbery at the end of this issue where a woman is in the store <clears> and she sees a Daredevil costume and a cane. It looks like maybe she's going to put it on that and wreck some shit. would be rad. So maybe mm-hmm. what we're dealing with is when Daredevil creates a hole, it's a hole that's going to be filled, and maybe what's ultimately safer is that he is still there to plug that hole, if you will. Because he, do you think she's going to kill more than one person and he'll realize that if he doesn't do it, or she'll other people killed. are going to do it poorly? Yeah, I mean, or she'll get killed or something like that. Um, uh, yeah, there were some charming parts, but it was all in the writing. The art, the art was fine. I, I think it wouldn't have been bad if we hadn't been kind of spoiled by... Marco Chiquetto. Chiquetto. Mm-hmm. Uh, that guy could... That guy could tra- probably draw My Little Pony and I might read it. I would sure do that, Django. Yeah? Oh, yeah. I'll talk to him. I'll, I'll call him. We got spoiled with Marco Cicchetto, and now we've got a fill-in artist who is much rougher. I would rather a book just come out every five weeks. There's a lot of other good comics. I know that's not everyone's feel, but uh, this is going to be kind of a rough arc to make it through if this is the artist for all of them, if it's like four issues. I didn't think the art was bad. It was just not... Not as elevated as there Chiquetto. was an alchemy though. It was like yeah. it was dialed in, you know, relationship between the two. And this is just this is the difference between yeah, you can just make a comic or you can make a thing that like exists in a time and place with the right people and the right atmosphere. Yeah, and it, like it, there's just a difference. This yeah, is a great this, comic, but this looks like the kind of art that you get in a hey cable has been getting a weird resurgence. Let's make a five-issue run story about him and see if people want to buy it. And put or, a comic book out to put a comic book out, but yeah. not to like show what can be done with the medium. Mm-hmm. Which Who can finish an issue? There was, I think, my favorite panel in this whole thing, other than Matt's new hairdo, is the uh, the kingpin in the shower, like slumped over and pissed off. But how terrible is this shot of him? Like, is he mid skip? Is he about to fall? Like page three with? Yeah, he's floating. Yeah, and his knee, like it's. And his hair is like up like he's jumping. It's a very he's, he's got a different gait than you and me. What do what are you coming down on him for that for? I don't know the reference of gait. I'm gonna blame the Nyquil and the the mess in my <laughs> stuff. Um, I give this a six point five. Well uh, written, good read. Yeah, I I give it a six. If this was the first issue I read, I wouldn't read the next one. But I'm gonna stick with it because the the last five issues have been awesome, and I'm curious to see how he gets Daredevil back from Matt Murdock. It's going to take something pretty big to happen for me to stop reading that book. Yeah. Heroes in Crisis. <clears throat> oh, 
It's over, you guys. It sure is. This was so good for a book that has so much matter built around characters I have never heard of before (laughs) and references (laughs) to events that I have never read. This book was so good. I and pretty and so pretty and just so heartfelt but like calm it's not emotional but it had that you felt it in your chest Everybody's kind of Everybody's very level-headed in this issue under extreme stress which I don't know if that goes with the theme of the series or not since it's all about superheroes with PTSD but they're all like they're dealing with their shit in the moment really well I think well, and but so much of this issue is focused on accepting mental health mm-hmm. and your journey through it instead of that there it's something to overcome. Yeah. So I should probably we should probably go through the actual issue, but it's I don't know, Jeff, do you want to do that? You're good at oh, spelling I, I out mean, the Well, I need a Django to kind of explain the last issue to me, but basically what what happened is that in, in issue 8 we realized the thing that killed all these people was Wally West kind of having a, a very understandable freakout moment, and the Speed Force kind of overcame him, unleashed out of his body, and killed the people around him. He then raced to the future, killed himself in the future, brought that body back in time to frame it so it wasn't him, and then made Booster and Harley think that they saw the other person do it. And in this issue, we have caught up in time to the moment where Wally from our present, now the past, kills future now present Wally. He's getting ready to. Yeah. yeah. Right? And, and in the last issue it ended with him getting ready to snap his own neck from from the other time. And we saw a shadow approaching them. And we were trying to guess what the shadow was. It turns out that it's Blue Beetle's ship Bottle just bus. smashing straight into him. Which was awesome. Mm-hmm. And it mostly centers around the conversation between uh, Wally talking to his five-day younger self and the crew of people who have been wrapped up in this mystery and trying to convince him to not murder the other version of himself and to, yeah, for me it was kind of learning to ask for help or being willing to ask for help or realizing the resources that are around you. It's like that Beatles song. Hey Jude? No, I get by with a little help from my friends. Oh, <laughs> You mean there's other I you were say besides help. I get high? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With a little help from NyQuil. <laughs> <laughs> and this cold. Yeah, I just love how, like, so they, they crash down and the doors open up and there's this gorgeous shot of, sure is. of everybody, especially with... Batgirl just looking fucking awesome. Super awesome. And uh, and Harley's just woken up from a nap because it's Harley. Mm-hmm. And this is like, I don't know, maybe one of the main reasons I love this book so much is Harley felt like Harley to me. Harley looks and feels like She's Harley. She's in her yeah. costume. And this is, I've spent so much time reading books that have, as as a child of the 90s who got obsessed with Harley early on, I just I just can't even bring myself most of the time. But I love sh- having <laughs> you here because that's how I feel about Harley stuff, but I also didn't fall in love with her in the 90s. And, like, you're just a couple years older than me. I, I don't feel like I warrant that opinion quite as much as you, so I'm glad that we have the same one. We I do. We definitely do. I am, um, yeah, I, I love her. I love early Harley, and this felt like the the right melding of the the current iteration with the the personality that I grew to love but she she's waking up cuz she was in a nap and she sees Ivy who's been regrown from the rose that 
that Ivy had given to Harley before that's a piece of her. That Harley threw in the river. That right? Harley threw in the river that older Barry went and told younger Barry to go fish out of the river and plant yeah. so that she could grow and be back. And Harley, who's been just dead set about killing whoever was responsible for killing Ivy, sees her and just pretty girl yeah. and goes tearing at her and Ivy's talking and it looks almost like Harley's going to be concerned or like, who are you? I don't trust it. But she just throws her arms around her and that was just, and it all melted away and she, she had her safety. She had her love and she, she was able to actually need him listen. in the, in the guts real Yeah. Good. Oh yeah. Cause <laughs> she's Harley and. <laughs> but she's not as unstable all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Right. She's, she's not, not driven by her anger and her passion. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. The art in this has looked a lot like these, these scenic backgrounds, like the, um, the propaganda paintings that they did during the westward expansion oh yeah was a big thing they do these idyllic scenes and these these midwest plains with the fields of golden grass and these big billowing clouds in the background it's so just american idealism and beautiful scenic calm and what we imagine to be at being at peace i love uh this issue had way more of those nine panel grids of characters checking the sanctuary. I think the implication is that they reopened it and now everyone's kind of going to it. Well, the last mm-hmm. page has it. Yeah. yeah and I, I love, I loved all of those. I loved each of the Robins ha- voicing their insecurity about feeling like they don't fit in, which is, I think, a really succinct, uh, again, is succinct. spoiler, is that the... Stephanie Brown? Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was... She's been popping up lately, but they haven't fully ingratiated her back in the universe. I was I love- hoping it was her because in each of the other Robin's panels, they're talking about the identity of all the, the other guys. But who am I in this? And then Stephanie is just like, they didn't talk about me, did they? I love the moment before that, which is Reb Tornado saying, I'm considering building a family. I think it will be both interesting and productive. I anticipate few obstacles, which feels like him referencing his vision series since Red Tornado oh. is the living android in the DC universe instead of the Marvel one, which made me think of Django. Because <laughs> um, he loves the vision. And he loves a, he loves a wink, wink, nod, on. I think this was a really good wrap-up for the series. I think we're in a weird space now where Flash is a, in jail. Yeah, it, it is. Like, I, not a bad guy. So whoever writes the next Flash story could take that in either direction, I think. I was, like, what I was thinking was, like, I hope in 10 years eight years, I guess it's comic, so probably two years, they'll, like, we haven't talked to Wally. Let's bust him out and make him a bad guy, which I'm into. I would sure. love, like, for him to have lost his mind. I, but I, but I he like goes this. in with the acceptance that he he needs to pay for what he's done. He was willing to die for what mm-hmm. he'd done because mm-hmm. he felt so horrible. But he was reminded himself. that within, within comic book universe and ethics, like, We've got mass murderers who become heroes, mm-hmm. and that's accepted. And and he can't be that hard on himself when other people have been accepted and are willing to accept him for what he's done. And yeah. and this is him stepping up to take on some responsibility for what he did and turning himself in. And so, what do you give it? What oh. number number for the issue in the series? For the issue in the series. I'm going to go I'm going to go 9 for the issue. And so I'm going to go 9.5 for the issue and I'm going 10 for the series. I was going to go 9 for the issue and 10 for the series myself, which is very Man. close. High five about it. Hi, wait, Jay. no, I'm not touching you, Thank germ you. boy. Yeah, <laughs> you got a very cute baby. I'm going to get that kid sick. 
<laughs> and then you can take care of him <laughs> at 4 a.m. when he can't like breathe and you have to snuck the snot out of his nose with a little straw. Hey, kid, do you like low voices? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give this a 10 for the issue and uh, 8.5 for the series. I think there were some pacing problems as a series. Um, but this issue, this was a, a surprisingly good rap to... Well, like I think he wrote himself into a corner. I agree. Where it felt like he wrote himself into a corner with that last couple of issues, and I think he really stuck this landing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the B cover is probably one of my favorite covers of the Sam year. Sam saw that and she was like, "Look at that butt!" Yeah, <laughs> Blue Beetle or uh, Booster. Booster Gold's butt, but then just the the trickery with the like the uh, varnish on the Polaroid, so good. And then the the first panel on the last page just has Booster and Beetle sitting on a couch having fun. Mm-hmm. That's a 10 right there. They could put that in... Uh, <laughs> that was the title page uh, They could put that in issue. anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they were not yeah, having yeah. fun But they weren't night. having fun. Yeah. They were yeah. bummed. Yeah, they were. yeah, just... I want a movie with those two. Yeah. I don't even care who plays them. I can't wait to go back and reread this all at once. Yeah, it's, it's it, really, really great. Um... Django, tell me about Detective Comics. What's going on here? Oh, man. I was really conflicted about this issue. I'm excited because you told me I think you should read this, and I read it, and I was like, okay. Well, okay. So it's uh, Detective Comics Annual number two. Detective Comics volume Don't waste three, our time. No, uh, um, by Tomasi, Moore, Raynor, Bonvion, and Filardi. Oh. Um, I grabbed this, and I thought that you would dig it because of the Black Case book. Because that's something that I think came from uh, Morrison Morrison's run. Referenced it and used it. I kind of thought that it was a thing that existed before that, but I c- totally could be wrong. I don't think it did. Um, so my first thought was Jeff's going to love this. It's the Black Case book. And then I opened it up and, and accidentally flipped to page two, and we had the Reaper from uh, Batman Year Two, and that was one of my favorites, and I, I was pretty sure that Justin and Roman would really dig that. That it was a safe assumption that Jeff would not know that person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Alan Alan Davis and Mark Farmer drew the original, and then it just kind of turns into Batman reading the Black Case book, and and then going off to another country and finding somebody pretending to like it. Got really kind of paint by numbers annual story with. Big chunks that I thought were super innovative, and then big chunks that I thought were really kind of dumb and boring. Um, yeah, I don't know. This this felt like Tomasi could have maybe either done this in one regular-sized issue or decompressed it into about six issues. And I think that this was the wrong format to do this story in. But um, the, the parts that I liked kept me reading it. Yeah, I don't think it was bad by any means, but I think it was a very unremarkable comic, which by today's standards almost makes it remarkable because everything seems to come out either leading into an event or being the climax of an event or being the resolution that's about to change the universe. And what we don't get are basically Batman books that felt like they would have come out in the late 70s, early 80s anymore, which is just here's a writer and a thing, and now we're over here and we're being Playboy Bruce Wayne and we're solving this mystery and... um, I thought it was unremarkable, and that made it pretty delightful. I didn't have any complaints about it, but I also have nothing super positive to say about it. It was like watching an episode of Monk, but a Batman comic. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's pretty good. Tony. <laughs> totally, totally 
happy to sit here for 45 minutes. Did it take you 45 minutes to get through this one? No, oh, it Monk takes you 45 did. minutes okay, to watch an say, episode of Monk. You comments quicker than I do, and this took me not that long. Uh, I really like the interaction of him and the girl that he was with on that trip. I did too. I thought I thought that was really, really well written. Like Bruce Wayne pretending to be cool guy, but also millionaire. Kind of, maybe, kind of liking this person. Yeah, on some level. Yeah, she was super cool. Um, yeah, and that good bat nipple at the end. Yeah, yeah. Dan Brooks got bat <laughs> And the Reaper's costume is just absolutely one of my favorites. It, it fucking rules. I'm, yeah. I'm super on board with it's that so character. Good. I thought it was a, a new creation. Yeah. I give this uh, a five. Awesome job. Five. You put a comic out. It looks good. No complaints. <laughs> I I do. I'm going to come up and do it on my buckshot, but I, that's a, probably why I have a hard time putting low scores out there is because, like, you put a comic out. People talk their entire lives about doing that and don't do it. So I think that to even put a bad comic out, like, high fucking five, you did a thing that people don't ever do. So... I would give this one a five because it's not a very good one, but you did a thing. I think I've only read... <laughs> Two Gleason comics that I would give, or uh, Tomasi comics that I would give less than a six. I'm going to give this a six. Okay. The ones I would give less than a six were the Superman, rah, 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 4th of July. Yeah, I didn't read those ones. Traveling in a, in a Winnebago comics. Those were bad. Oh. Sorry, buddy. Let's hear something Sounds more interesting. Painful. Colette. Oh, me again. Hey, uh, we've got X23 number 12 by Marco Tamaki, Diego... Or uh, I'm gonna butcher that. Well, remember when Django did that <laughs> that intro for what the fuck ever it was, Daredevil? Yeah. You oh man, man. No worries. that looks like uh, uh, nope. <laughs> or or Latigu? something. I'm sorry, Diego. You're a good person, and I'm butchering your name. <laughs> um, Walden Wong did the inks, and Chris O'Harlan. Er, how, um, my God, you guys. You I'm Chris not allowed to read it. anymore. No, you got it, dude. Yeah, words. Um, so, end of this lovely little X-23 run that has been great. I really I, I really love Mariko Tamaki. She does just nice comics. They're not always the the deepest or the most gritty, but they're, they're not... They're not unpleasant reads. And for a character that I'm always like, they don't write her dark enough. They don't write her dark enough. Okay, I'll let Marco Tamaki not write Laura dark <laughs> enough. Because um, there's just something about the bond between Laura and Gabby that's just nice and and interesting. And that was Django. Nyquil. <laughs> um, so this is the wrap-up. The last issue, Gabby had stormed off because they'd had issues with the the new clones that they'd found that weren't the same level of clone as they are they weren't necessarily um, conscious they were more drone like and they didn't have the feeling the healing factor um and gabby ran off to go after a a load of something that has their scent on it and she calls laura from the road after laura's been just brooding over her leaving um that she needs advice doesn't want her help but needs advice but laura goes anyway and they end up finding a uh a car full of turkeys on a train that have been (laughs) that have x23 dna (laughs) in them because this evil corporation has been working on like 
healing factor organs and hmm, meat that can grow withstand stuff. Who knows? And of course, but it's they would turkeys. start with animals. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they made a whole drone army. <laughs> Maybe yeah. they made you the know, turkeys let's, let's after. Let's feed some people too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just one of those books where I was just like, I shouldn't be liking this. I should be thinking this is really stupid, but it's just cute and sweet, and and they work their shit out, and in a way that doesn't dishonor. <laughs> I'm just gonna keep talking I'm and sorry, pretend. Sorry, I tried to open like... polar seltzer water. That's what I'm doing. I thought it was gonna be quiet. I was dumb. I'm gonna wait. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just derailing my thought process. Raspberry lime. No, Whatever. I'm loving listening to it. I, I've, I've read, I think, four issues of this run, and I've liked every single one. I Like, everything that you just said, I love the dynamic between Laura and Gabby. I think that, like, Mariko Tamaki, like, hit the nail on the head with that particular dynamic. Mm-hmm. I liked it in the Tom Taylor stuff of X-Men Red. Yeah. I think this is better. I even thought, like, they did get a little angsty at times. Um, oh, yeah. It's... I always want more blood when I've got Laura in a comic, but that's a great panel. For, too. Yeah, the they did a really good job with a funny little train heist with a uh, self destruct going off on the train and trying to save these turkeys, and it was fun. And they they ended up they resolved their issues, but without either of them having to concede what their core belief on what led into the argument was and that's really nice to see so often when characters especially in a superhero book are having conflict someone has to give up what they if we were ever, standing behind if we and, ever release the 45 minute audio of the Django and I argument about <laughs> halftone dots from like two or three episodes ago um, I think that you would be pleased to find that people came to a, a point of resolution while not saying that that they were wrong we're yeah. basically uh, Mariko Tamaki when you when you combine us. I was going to say I was Laura and he was my little honey badger. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that's the biggest takeaway from this issue is by the end of it, Gabby is realizing she needs to be more than what she's been. And she has a mission to – Laura wants to take out anyone who's doing cloning and taking their DNA and destroy them. But Gabby really wants to be able to protect any of the – creations that mm-hmm. come out of that work and um and the uh the clone that they'd been working with had some weird initials on her and backwards it spells scout and so gabby though she's liked the name honey badger feels like scout better represents oh. what she's doing so she's taking on a new mantle of that's scout. great but i really like honey badger have you even read to kill a mockingbird no <laughs> what <laughs> Dang, now I just feel like a dick. <laughs> um, and I, I get that that's a character in it and everything. Oh, my God. I think Honey Badger is... We have a comic book version. I know. You, I'm aware of gotta... the book. Hey. I definitely didn't read it in high school and I was supposed to. Jeff, can you cut you that can... out so I don't sound like such an asshole? No. <laughs> um, I can be an asshole. You at least have to watch the movie because it's pretty... De- I watched well, some of the movie. Um, no, no. Yeah, okay, 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 okay. You okay. and I will get down. Yeah, we'll, yeah, yeah. We'll smoke Scout a is big old just t- t- very joint and just get into it. Very close to my heart, and I like. I, I, I just, I think it's a great choice to make Gabby. And I always liked get Honey Badger conceptually, but I just hated saying it. It just sounded wrong. Well, that's kind of what I love about her. Is she just seems like such a badass, and she owns this like pretty hilarious name. Yeah. Uh, she actually reminds me of one of our audience members tonight's daughter, Ivy. I can believe that. Like, just kind of a 
kind of a spitfire. Kind of a badass. Unpredictable badass, yeah. Um, I sat across from Rome when he started that issue. He was worried about uh, if it was going to be sad because it was the last issue, and he ended it, and he was like, <clears throat> oh, it was not sad. It was good. Um, How was it for a final issue? It's very open-ended. Okay. It's It doesn't tie anything up. It's more introducing a next chapter to come. Okay. Let's get because we got a. I think we got a call in about this issue as well. So can I get a score from you and then a score about the series overall, and then we'll check in with our boy. I'll. I'd give this issue probably a seven and a half, and I think. I think overall the series has been about seven seven and a half. All right. Yeah. Uh, Dino Chapino, that guy. Dino. That well, guy likes him some X twenty three. Yeah. He does not need as much blood as I do. <laughs> Hi guys, it's Dino. I'm calling to talk about the end of my current favorite series, X-23. This week's number 12 gave a nice and fun send-off to our sensational sisters, Laura and Gabby. Say what you want about this series, but the dialogue between X-23 and, spoiler, Scout, is what makes it great. I loved how in this issue we finally see Jonathan the Wolverine in action. As Brayden knows, Jonathan was a gift from the unbeatable Squirrel Girl back in All New Wolverine. Overall, I give this book and the series a 9.5. I would go to 10, or should I say Roman numeral X, but I feel a missed opportunity was you had Mariko Tamaki, former writer of She-Hulk, and didn't have X-23 versus She-Hulk. Logan and Hulk's battles are legendary, so why not have her write the very first battle of X-23 versus She-Hulk. It could have been great. Even if Marvel told her to stick with the whole hunt down clothing scientists as villain storyline, oh you can still make it work. She-Hulk is a lawyer, so her firm represents one of these clone scientists, and Lord discovers Dude, you know I've got to edit this, and I can't just seemingly cut this out. And they realize, uh-oh, we're actually both good guys, so She-Hulk Visually, I can tell what happened Anything remotely close oh. to that, Dino's going to take credit for it. Oh. <laughs> Dino, you're a magician. I love you to death. I got a question oh. for Dino. Uh, did, how, how, was it handwritten or typed that he was reading it from? Yeah. Do you read these or do you make these up off the phone? No, I was, like, I was, had to be. I just don't know if it was typed or handwritten. Or maybe it was in his phone as a text. Yeah. I bet he was driving home from the shop. Dictating it. And he dictated it. Okay. Um, man, Robert Pattinson is Batman. Eli and I were talking about this the other day. You and Eli and I. But yeah, you were okay. Yeah. I couldn't remember who else was there. I think there. you and I have the exact same opinion. Nobody has ever been excited about who was going to play Batman next. In fact, quite the contrary. People have just shit on whoever is going to be Batman next. Yeah, mm -hmm. like with the possible exception of Christian Bale, because nobody no, knew every, what he looked like. Everybody, I knew who he was, and I didn't 
think it was good, and I knew other people who were like, I don't know about yeah. Christian Bale. Like, They've all been great. Like, even even the bad ones were pretty solid Batmans, right? George Clooney and Val Kilmer? George Clooney looks just like fucking Bruce Wayne. Val Kilmer? Yeah, Val Kilmer? It wasn't You're his fault that there happen, were nipples on that costume. <laughs> right? It was his fault that he was in that costume. Okay, I didn't watch the movie. It's but... not my fault. That was yeah. one of my first remembered erections. <laughs> <laughs> that interesting where he's suiting up. I haven't actually seen that one. And and pieces, and I was confused. <laughs> They're... Oh, they did. They were re-releasing that in the theater. I was thinking about finally I seeing see it for Batman the first Returns. time. I, yeah, yeah, that was my favorite. I was gonna see the other one with my dad I'm in. when he died. Do you know you're great? I'm also in. I have no reason to believe it's gonna be bad. I think. I think the best instance that we had to be skeptical was like Ben Affleck, and he killed it. He was the best part of those movies. Yeah, and that's Gal Gadot was the best part of those movies. <sighs> she was the best part of Wonder Woman for sure. She was pretty good in Justice League. Yeah, when she showed up. Oh, yeah, sorry, I forget about just. I'm thinking of Dawn of Justice, which was... Batman uh, vs. Superman was the one that I, I'm thinking about, which was just that we walked away from that being like, that was hot garbage, but Bruce Wayne was good. And we but were it was not Ben about, Affleck's yeah, fault that it was garbage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my thought on all that. Do you, yeah. you Are you... The whole thing about the series and the thing, are you okay? I mean... I haven't seen him in anything. I haven't watched anything except for wasn't he in one of the Harry Potter movies? I've never he seen. Was. I've never seen a Twilight movie Dude. or read a book or anything. And I Jenga's what? about to pop out of his head. What if it's an adaptation of Red Rain? Because it's a vampire. The thing. Kelly Jones vampire. All right, movie. Dino, we'll let you be on the podcast. <laughs> Come on, you've got a lot of ideas. We'll pick a week. You can stockpile all your references and your movie ideas. Um, let's have get a five-hour episode. Yeah, a buckshot in here, just real quickly. And by quickly, I mean no quicker than four and a half minutes, because everyone gets a minute and a half. So, um, uh, Colette, go a minute me? and three for me. Oh God, um, Wolverine: The Longest Night, last issue, wrapped everything up. Had some surprises. Really fun. I liked the series. I never thought I would really enjoy a series that was based on a podcast story, but it was cool. <laughs> um, uh, she said, "Destroy." I will keep reading because I'm curious to know where it goes. But it was fell a little flat for me. I was having trouble kind of picking up on what I think is kind of a complex universe that they set up in this. It's like fairy god Morrigan versus a sun god and their followers and I can't really tell you exactly what's going on because I was kind of lost and um, yeah, it was alright. We'll keep reading it. Uh, War of the Realms War Scrolls continues to be good little tie-in stories. It finishes up the story with uh Daredevil and Fisk in Manhattan with Malekith, and then a little nice Doctor Strange story, and I didn't get the last one read because I had to come here. Um, uh, Catwoman Annual was, like, really good and really boring at the same time, very much like an annual. I was not a fan of the art, but uh, it's like when Catwoman first got to uh, whatever the name of la and the dc universe is i can't remember um and uh and she ends up taking in this girl from the street and helping her out who then brings her friends and no um and it's this kind of murder mystery and it was fine and then wildstorm number whoa 20, 
what? Go for it. I'm going for it. I don't ever get to do these. Uh, and then I never have enough to do a full buckshot. And then Wild Store number 23, all I have to say about this is this book is fucking amazing. And I'm going to cry when there isn't any more left because it's one issue and then another six issue run. And it's going to be horrible when it's over because it's amazing. That six there. issue run includes... Uh... Our buddy, right? It does. Mm-hmm. And I thought he said four series originally. I'm not sure if that's ended. I think things change. Yeah, maybe it is just going to end with the six issue thing. Scores. <clears throat> Scores. Um, Wolverine, ooh, seven, six and a half. Uh, she said destroy, uh, six, five and a half, six. Uh, Catwoman, uh, probably a six. Uh, War Scrolls. Seven and Wildstorm nine point eight. Dude, Django. Look at this Andrea Sorrentino art at the beginning of this. It's amazing. Oh yeah, uh, but it looks more like Andrea Rauho, and I don't think well, you would no, recognize it's, it's the Gideon Falls guy. It switches around. Sorrentino's Whoa. doing the um, through Daredevil's vision. Yeah, just and oh. then I think it switches <clears throat> to a different artist for mostly all of this stuff is amazing and it looks like the Andrea Sorrentino stuff when he does stuff in the light which we've seen a little bit in Gideon Falls but he's not relying on shadow. It almost looks like Andrea Sorrentino like did the panel layout and made somebody else draw it. But it stops there. Wow that's really cool. Mm -hmm. It looks like his art to me but it just looks like when he is doing a different style that I love and it actually looks like Andre Araujo to me. He's He's so good. I I just read the last issue of Gideon Falls a couple weeks late and I did not like the issue but the art is just phenomenal. Like, I, I don't know how he can do something that good every single time. Jeff, minute and a half, go. Well, everything that Colette said about She Said Destroy, I think, is certainly on point. Um, as soon as I was reading the intro, I was like, oh, fuck, like, the Faye is mentioned, and then, the like, Morrigan, and I was like, ugh, I don't like super, super fantasy books, and I think this art, I don't know if I think it's bad or competent. It's like... It's lacking something. It's like an Instagram, <laughs> Twitter feed artist, which is great, but I like the characters, but I don't know. This, this is that idea of, you made a comic, a lot of times if I don't like a thing, I can be a little bit annoyed. This, it's, I realize, is not for me at all. I'm going to give it a three, but there's no, like, this is a bad book in that at all. It's just, like, super not for me, um, but it's a it's a fucking comic book and then Nick Spencer's Amazing Spider-Man Hunted arc ended and I don't think any Humberto Ramos art Spider-Man book is ever going to be a classic I don't think I (laughs) I truly believe that he does not represent the characters in a way that allows them to be timeless and feel like the characters that they're representing like it and I would love in 15 years if somebody showed me that I was wrong about that. But he's been on this book for like 10 years and the torsos are always insane. Characters don't look like characters. I just, I don't think that he's going to make a, a, I don't know. I think he's a, can get a book out, but he doesn't make classics. Sorry, Humberto. I've been, I I don't hate him, but I just like. I do. It just doesn't ever stand the test of time. It feels like a thing that they can get out quickly. So they keep putting him on a book. I, I have full respect for anybody who loves his stuff. It's very stylized. There is definitely an audience for it. It does nothing for me but make me upset that I'm not looking at someone else's art. I might I might like him because of the like crime series set in Rome that he did. 
that was really, really good, but and I not superhero. Yeah, I don't think he's a shitty artist, but it, like Kill said, it's so stylized, and it is doing an art that isn't. And I love very unique avant-garde artists for sure, but he's just he's doing it in a way that feels a little bit like super digital manga. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it, I just I tr- I don't think that if he's the artist on a book that it'll be a thing that people buy the trade of for ten years. We got scores. Yeah, she said destroy a three, um, and then <laughs> I said that in the you know the thing. It's not a bad. It's not a bad. Th- it's just like good job. You did a thing. I there's no part of me that felt like this was going to be a super high scoring book going into it, and it was not. It was less good than I had hoped or expected it to be, but. I, it's like it's just not for me. I, I think yeah. it's mm-hmm. I, I, I don't like super fantasy things. Um, but they did a thing that people dream and talk about. So yeah. I do think they should be congratulated. And then Amazing Spider-Man 22 by Nick Spencer and Humberto Ramos. I'll give a five or a five point five. Like the story itself was pretty good, but the art takes me out of it. And the story just ended in a kind of lackluster way. But what I, do you what do you give the Hunted Run? Because I dropped off about one issue in, and I'm excited to start reading Amazing Spider-Man again. If it had art by the other artists on this book, I would have liked it, I think, a lot more. Were they just in Central Park fighting each other the whole time? Yeah, and it All did. Right, they did better than that. It, <laughs> Five they, issues? They, no, no, no. There, that that was about twenty percent of the story. A lot of it okay. was some underground stuff in other places, <clears throat> but that was where a scene was going on. Um, yeah, that's that. Django, Man on the Clock, Man About Town, Chops on the Street, Minute Thirty. Go. I read Killer Groove Number One from Aftershock. Uh, this was really interesting. I I thought that the art was okay. I liked it more and more as it went on. It set up a good mystery, good characters, uh, nice setting for the whole thing, kind of like crime and murder happening in paradise. And uh, yeah, I, you know, I'm a sucker for a hard-boiled story. I also read A Walk Through Hell number 10. I think this might be a 12-issue series. This arc seems to be focusing on histories of different characters. This takes one of the main characters and shows us his life growing up as uh, a gay kid. And man, Garth Ennis knows how to write a fucked up human interaction. And then also a super fucked up way to have two people inhabit one body by the end. Uh, I also read Peter Cannon Thunderbolt number five. This was the end of that series. And Dang, I like the journey a lot more than I like the finish. <laughs> um, this, this was based on the character that Dr. Manhattan, or sorry, Ozymandias came from in Watchmen. And uh, it's it's been super interesting to watch it get where it got. But the, I don't know, man, the resolution just did not, didn't do it for me. I I was I was a little bit bummed out that it was over already. I could have done with another issue or two. So Well timed, Django. Uh Killer Groove, I'm gonna give a seven and a half. Um I really, really like it. I would I like, also give I like a the seven design. And a half. They sent us guitar picks, which is like if I was waffling between a seven and a seven and a half, those <laughs> guitar picks would have uh, bumped it up. There's one thing that you can get right to Django's heart with, and it's a kind of shilly gift. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Shill for me. Uh, walk through hell. I'm going to give that a nine. So far, like we got two issues left. That series is that series is going to end up as a ten for me, unless Garth Ennis really, really shits the bed. And actually, if he shits the bed, it's going to be a ten and a half. Uh, Peter Cannon Thunderbolt. This issue, I'm going to give a seven. The whole series, I'm going to give an eight. 
Um, I, I think anybody who likes Watchmen or Doomsday Clock or just kind of interesting deconstruction of comic books and timelines should read that one. So let's end this uh, largely DC-focused podcast. With okay, a I'm Django. To a trip, they trip to trip, 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 on myself there. Good. <laughs> Superman Leviathan Rising by Brian Bendis, Greg Rucka, Matt Fraction, Marco Andreco, Yannick Paquette, uh, Steve Lieber, oh God, a whole bunch of people, writers and artists. Perkins, um, Fancia, Ferreira, Fairburn, Mounts, Placencia. Uh, I was pretty excited to read this because I've loved Superman action leading up to this, but I did not get to it by this morning when I saw Django and he was like, did you read that? It was really good. And that kind of shocked me to hear Django say that. So I had not read it yet. What shocked you about that? You liked the Bendis Superman stuff, but I guess I've sort of walked away from it feeling like I'm the biggest fan of that by quite a margin. And ben, or Roman's kind of hot and cold on it. I thought that you've been kind of hot and cold on it. So I was... Being that this is a one-shot that is a lead-in to an event, I think its publication is like, uh, it could have been the zero issue for Event Leviathan. It could have been more issues of the other series. I, I think but that that's the pop- not what it is. problematic. No, it's not, but that's it turns what out it that is it's in like, publishing. This is, I think this is an 80-page special, right? And I think that what it is is showing us an issue of four different comics, one at a time. So we've got uh, Action Comics, where we learn a little bit more about Leviathan and uh, Leon uh, and, and how they're going to team up against Superman. Uh, and then it's also an issue of the Lois Lane series, which I thought was really awesome. And it's also an issue of Matt Fraction and Steve Lieber's Jimmy Olsen series, which actually had me laughing out loud at one point in the backyard of my house. And then uh, I guess that's probably a Supergirl story that's going on. And then just kind of bookends with the whole thing. I thought it was really, really good. I really enjoyed that we have different creative teams that are that, that were able to tie one big story together. Because this was basically a story of Clark seeing that somebody was in his house ready to capture Clark Kent. And he assumed that they wanted to capture Clark in order to get to Superman. So he's like, oh, sure, I'll go along with this. These idiots will be easy to beat. But as soon as they get him back to their lair, they strap a kryptonite vest on him to defeat Superman when Superman arrives. So Clark is all weak and can't help himself. And Lois and Supergirl and Jimmy have to come save him. And there there are a bunch of really good visual gags. There's a really funny part where, like, in one one story, Lois gets a call from Jimmy and he's asking for $10,000. And she's like, no, I I can't give you $10,000. And Clark can't either. And then later in kind of the comedic Jimmy Olsen story, we see the other end of that where he's just been thrown up on – thrown up blood on by a cat that destroyed his clothes. This woman he married stole his wallet and he's got to get out of – what is it? Gorilla – What's the place? Listen, cat vomit and cleaning it up is not a joke, Django. Did you read this? Did you read this? It's hilarious. Uh, he's in Gorilla Gorilla Town or something, and he's got to get out of there. So he's asking for ten thousand dollars. I don't know. The, the whole thing cracked me up. I thought it was. I thought it was really, really well done. I loved it. I got. I I loved it when I read it, and it's what I've loved about the series. It made me super excited for the Jimmy Olsen and Lois Lane series, which I totally agree were awesome. I think the Jimmy Olsen book was hilarious. Um, I totally agree. The fact that they were able to lace all these narratives together 
is pretty impressive. I think they're all friends and fans of Bendis, but we know Matt Fraction's like that's one of his best friends. So I, I think that it it makes sense that they can make this work so fluidly together. And it made me incredibly excited for the event and for these other two books that are showing up. Um, I don't love Yannick Paquette, but I do love his, which is weird because I thought that I liked him. I love his paneling, but I just, there are a lot of jaws. It's his colorist. <laughs> his colorist yeah, really sets it it's off. It's all flat, but when he's doing well, really interesting paneling stuff, it's awesome. And That's you can't draw African-American hair, apparently. <laughs> is that a thing? Well, look at, is it, who's the reporter Leon. woman? Oh. No, no, the, the bad guy, the bad yeah, guy reporter. Yeah, like the these. Good, I don't know what she's trying to do, but these. It's supposed to be like natural curly hair, but it's in like weird tufts. That it's like it's not the top knotty hair, but it's not. It reminds me. And of then her like her Halle bangs Berry are pressed. In something where she had a bunch of the hair like. In in the tight knots, oh, um, but this like isn't the, a Matrix movie. I think. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's little. It's I mean, this is more the the part of me that went to beauty school that I'm like, that's not how hair works exactly. But you know, because there's some panels that it's fine. And anyway, that's really nitpicky. I'm sorry, it just no. really got under my skin last night. Did you guys but, wonder if whoever they were using as a, as models for the different faces of Leviathan when they were using like a digital projector to hide their I identity? Did, wonder that. did you wonder like, are these friends of Yannick Paquette, or did people win? In a contest, and I what do I have, have to do thought, to be one I, of those people I was on his face? Hard to find him. <laughs> yeah, I wish I. I grabbed this last night. This is the last thing I read before I went to sleep, and I was trying to get. I was like, "Oh, big book, got to get going." And I somehow completely missed that this was going to be one of those a snippet from different comics thing. It wasn't presented that way. It, yeah, it says on the cover the events or the epic struggle to control the DC universe begins here. Like it is published and presented as a book that is a lead-in to an yeah. event, like a Marvel Zero issue for an event. Yeah, That's and I, not what it is. I really wish I'd noticed the long list of names at the top and everything, because I, I, I kind of noticed the, the art change for the, the Lois Lane bit and everything, and then Jimmy pops up, and it's all of a sudden super cartoony, and I was just like, wait, what's going on? I, If I'd been in the right mentality for okay, I'm reading these different bits. I think I could have enjoyed this better. Uh, I didn't not enjoy it. There were some really great moments like when Clark's telling Lois that he's going to let himself be kidnapped and she's like, oh, you're going to act? Don't I love act. That. That's a classic like, that Bendis was... thing where then somebody yeah. else brings up like, he didn't go to act, did he? She's like, yeah. I know. Like, well, they've yeah. kind of brought that up in the last two yeah. issues of Action Comics too because he yeah. pretended to be somebody else and he's terrible at it. Yeah, yeah I liked the... I liked the the Superman stuff in the beginning and the end and the bit with Lois. I I want to go back and reread the Jimmy Olsen bit just because I didn't realize what was going on and I was just confused <laughs> the whole time. I was yeah. like, wait, this is funny, but I was in drama headspace and what's going on now? Oh, this is the Fraction bit, which I picked up right at the end of it. And then I was yeah. like, well, okay, whatever. And then the Supergirl stuff, I don't know, maybe it's because I just don't know anything about the characters. I'm but I there. was... It was Snoozeville. The this, Supergirl stuff I was, was actually pretty bad. I yeah. was honestly falling asleep by the end of this and not because I was really tired. But The the Supergirl stuff, I, I, I'm i with you. That dull. was the, the, the least strong part for sure. I just love that at the end, all his friends show up and it's Lois wearing Talia al Ghul's outfit. And I was like, what have I missed 
in here. Uh, yeah. I, who cares? Like they they came to rescue Superman. For some reason, she had to dress like Talia, and of course, they looked the same, right? Mm-hmm. Like they 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 could play each other. And then Jimmy Olsen in a gorilla suit with his cat in a costume, mm-hmm. like. I don't even need to know what led to those things happening, but the the two setups, I think, just kind of let you let you assume that they figured that out and it all made sense, and now they're there to rescue Superman. And I really like Lois and the way that she's presented in her story. Like Greg Rucka yeah. writes a total badass. Uh, I like the Jimmy Olsen tone as being just out there, but has I, I think it's a perfect fit for Matt Fraction. It's like yeah. Kirby, mm-hmm. but it's also his like Casanova stuff. It's like Grant Morrison-y. Like, it, it's just very of a, its own unique voice, but confident, and I think it fits it perfectly. And I'll follow Steve Lieber wherever he goes. Yeah. Like, that that guy could draw My Little Pony, and I'd probably read it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'd read that. Can you I would about that? <laughs> uh, I, I would give this one... An 8.5, I would probably give it a 9 without the Supergirl story, which I think just weighed it down, but I do think it was interestingly paced. But um, it made me pumped for the... I mean, I've loved the Superman stuff. It made me pumped for both the Fraction and Rucka books. It, it did the damn thing. i give it an 8. It was uh, enjoyable all the way through, except for that Supergirl part you are talking about. And I love that Superman saves Talia from falling at the end. Mm-hmm. That was That's a Superman thing to do. Also, they can show that car that he wrecked in Action Comics number one anytime they want. That's going to get an automatic plus 0.5 from me. That and year one references. Yep, (laughs) plus a half. I'm going to give it a seven and also point out how awesome the bit was when Lois is trying to find Superman and gets a hold of Batman and he comes and he's like, oh, did you check this basic thing? And did you think about this? And (laughs) she's like, fuck you. Yes, it's my husband. (laughs) And then Wonder Woman shows up and she's like, oh, yeah, of course. You call. Of course it's a big deal. (laughs) That was I really liked that dialogue because... First, I was like, well, yeah, Ben, this is totally going to be writing Batman. But I really liked that line of just like, once you ring this bell, it can't be unrung, which is that idea of... Wasn't that Rutka for that bit, though? Yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. not sure. Who... Oh, was that? Yeah, because yeah. oh, that's the lowest okay. book. All right. Um, Still, though. Either way, I really liked that line because it, to me, it really does indicate <clears throat> that... Um, the credibility of you calling me for help is immediately gone once it's happened once. Like, if this isn't exactly what it's represented as, then forever, the first time you reached out for help, it will have just been somebody worried about their significant other. And that was, of course, not what it was. But that is, I feel like, what Batman, Batman would say, which is just mm-hmm. sort of like, if you're wrong about this, you're wasting my time, and there's nothing more severe than wasting my time right now. I really like that she went into the freezer to get the the Justice League call button and also her cigarettes. And I like that mm-hmm. a lot too. Which I, you know that Clark knows that those are there, <laughs> right? But she's but still hiding she, it. I love that illusion. Of, <clears throat> she hiding it from John. I bet she's hiding it from Clark. But there's just well, sort John's of that been gone. in relationships. There's those things that you do that you think your par- partner doesn't know about, but they surely do, and they just don't talk about. <laughs> Man, that was an episode. Of a podcast? Yeah, we finished podcast. it. All right, everybody. Well, listen. I we made get, some we... promises last week that I was going to feel better next week. Um, uh, make, make them again. Uh, I'm going to be feeling very good next week when I'm not here recording the podcast oh, and Django is recruiting a crew and recording it and editing it and distributing it. I'm just going to do it at home alone. 
I wouldn't want to do that for 134 episodes, <laughs> 133 episodes, no. Uh, we got other podcasts coming up sometime in the future. We're going to do a podcast all about um, Final Crisis, mm-hmm. and that's going to be kind of a crossover, uh, point, counterpoint, contrast. I don't know. we got to come up with something shorter than that, but with our, like with our that, sister Django. podcast, uh, Infinity Content. And then, uh, what, episode 140, we're collecting emails and questions and notes. So please send us questions through the email. We've gotten some. We've gotten some voicemail <laughs> questions. Thank you. Anybody listening, reach out. Give us something to do on 140 because we probably won't. We'll probably just do like a really quick 10 or 15 minutes on comics and the rest on voicemails. Dino, 30 seconds per question. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for calling in, Dino. That was rad. Um, we're also going to do a special bodily functions cut eventually we're super, here. Super, you know, super not. One, I bet that'll be episode one thirty-four. Gonna... Well, I'm not fucking around, which is very good. Um, you can give us a call to leave a voicemail, like Dino did today. Um, Script it out. It just like it was perfect. Uh, our number for that is one six one nine six six three seven three three six. Leave us a voicemail. Um, Please burp it. during it. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> send um, it over email, info at thecomicsplace.com. You can record it on your phone or whatever and pick the best one. Yeah, and tell somebody that you think might like comics to listen to us so that way you'll have somebody to talk to about the comic books with since this is that's a good thing to do. You want some more NyQuil before we go? Um, NyQuil sleepy. <laughs> oh, I'm Jeff and I quit. <laughs> I'm Django. I guess it's just me and everybody else that's not Jeff. (laughs) I'm Colette, and I'm still here even though they forget about me. (laughs) We don't forget about you. you. You're like the most frequent guest on this thing. No, I meant in the when Django said he was the. I'm going to shut up now because it's just (laughs) not working. Oh, now we got to come up with another ending. All right, all right. Does somebody want to barb or fur or do whatever you fucking burp?